Welcome back to the Anxiety Slayer podcast. I'm Shan Vanderleek, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Phil Stark, former screenwriter, therapist, and author of Dude, Where Is My Catharsis? Phil started out writing film and television comedy nearly 20 years ago, working on shows like South Park and that 70s show. And then a midlife career change came around, and he went back to graduate school to study psychology, and that led to his role as associate marriage and family therapist in L.A., Dude, Where's My Catharsis is a guide to talk therapy, providing insight based on Phil's work as a therapist, experience as a lifelong therapy client, and writing style and voice developed over the years as a screenwriter. Welcome to Anxiety Slayer, Phil. Thanks for having me. We absolutely have to start with your your journey, how how you Mm -hmm. made your way from screenwriter to therapist. I'd really like to start there. It's a great story, and it's funny, you know, when you when you read the title of the book, uh, "Dude, Where's My," which I now say, "Catharsis." I, I think I maybe invented a new word. I, I can't even say catharsis anymore. I can't right. pronounce it correctly. But the joke amongst my friends is that it's almost as if my previous twenty years of screenwriting was just a setup for the idea of a title for a book about my work as a therapist. So it's a very, very long, slow burn setup for a joke. Um, <laughs> But but I I love my story. I mean I I I was so lucky and I dreamt of uh, being a screenwriter and uh, I I got my foot in the door and then I pushed it open and then I I had a career. But um, uh, one of the things about the entertainment industry and maybe other industries is um, they often don't tell you when you should think about doing something else. And uh, so while I I'm very happy with what I achieved in my career as a screenwriter. Uh, I never really considered the fact that I might not retire as a screenwriter and I didn't know what I would do with that time. And so um, uh, it was sort of a long struggle to figure out what I would like to do in my life, sort of what people would describe as a midlife crisis. And now that I found therapy, it, it all really makes sense. Mm, that's awesome, isn't it? When you, you don't know where the path is leading and then all of a sudden you're on it, you're in it. And it's like, oh yeah, right on. Yeah, I'm very big on the path metaphor. I, a lot of my book and a lot of my work is about finding metaphors and figures of speech to help illustrate for clients what are really, um, you know, uh, hard to grasp, very ethereal topics. And one of them is is our path in life. And I love the idea that I can work with a client um, who is in a feeling stuck. They feel like they're at a dead end, and we can reflect on. Uh, where we've come in the path and how we might've seen that before and how we have found our path and, and the knowledge that our path will lead us somewhere, even though our frustration is that we do, we don't know where it is. So I, I love that metaphor of life being like a hiking up a mountain. Mm-hmm. With lots of stops for water and support from a friend to maybe carry your ass up the rest of the way sometimes. Or it's true. Perhaps it's a true, therapist. Yeah. <laughs> to right? walk alongside Absol- of you. I, yes, I'm the guy sort of sitting up there in a cave with uh, people who stop by and, and need direction. I love that. I love that. Well, congratulations on your book. Uh, I'd love yes. for you to tell us how Where's My Catharsis is changing lives. Um, well, I I started writing this book when I started graduate school, actually. And I find a lot of connection between the book and screenwriting because uh especially comedy a lot of comedy is about 
presenting a, a, a different way of looking at a common subject, which in that case is a joke. And it means to make you funny and describe how a character has a different outlook on things that is humorous. And I find that in my work, just like this uh, this um, path metaphor, I was talking to a, a client recently who was feeling really stuck and blocked and having a really hard time. And we talked about how their path in life has led them to this moment. But right now, the path is really steep and very difficult. And we talked about, well, do we really, do we want to continue to go in this direction? Can we find an easier way to go and trust that it might eventually link up with the path that we needed that was on the other side of that? Mm. Very difficult part to get through. You know, sometimes we really slog through life and we need to get through it. But other times we need to assess, can we go around this? Are we, are we, did we choose the path we wanted and are we not adjusting as we continue on the path? Yeah. Well, that's such um, a good point too, because we do sometimes get stuck thinking this is the only way. And then we're, mm-hmm. and then we're just completely running into wall after wall or boulder after boulder, you know, whatever it is. And just like, my mm-hmm. goodness, is it, is it really supposed to be this air quotes hard? Right. And then, mm-hmm. Oh, Hey, what do you know? There's, there might be a path around this. Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. All- I mean, you're still going through it, but you're you're going around and getting to where you're going in a different direction, perhaps. Right. When you say, you know, ha- maybe how does the book affect people? Like, for instance, I remember that when I was coming to the end of my screenwriting career, in retrospect, I, I that's all I could see myself doing. I really had the blinders on. I never really thought about, well, could I do something else? I would mm-hmm. always write another script, or you know, develop another pitch. And meanwhile, the whole time, I'm pretty unhappy. I'm the guy slogging up this horrible, tree-ridden, quicksand-laden path, but not realizing, well, maybe there's another path I can go on. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, you look around, there are no other paths. So it can take time to, to look for those and find those. And you have to trust that there's going to be one. Or otherwise, you're just it's terrifying just to stop sure. on, on, on the, the road of life. Um, so that's something I, I often share with clients. Um, about that 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 metaphor specifically, and so your book then in in sharing the story of the path and and then of course your life and your example of changing mm-hmm. things up mm-hmm. has to be really helpful for those that you spend your time with. I, I like to think so. I mean, um, the book is a friendly and engaging guide to talk therapy. It's really for people who maybe have never experienced talk therapy or just getting into it. Um, And it's also for people maybe who are in it, appreciate it, can maybe find a nugget or a a chapter that speaks to their experience. And and sometimes uh, I will be working with a client and I will describe something in a way that makes me realize that could be a good chapter a good mm-hmm. metaphor to help explain a particular psychological concept. And oftentimes it's the client saying like, oh, I get what you're saying. It's like X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, yes, that's an even better way to put it. I'm going to steal that and put it in another book. I think many people have preconceptions or ideas about what talk therapy is. And I think demystifying it to a certain extent and explaining what the process is like in a way that's friendly and engaging. Uh, I feel like maybe it's something that people especially in the climate nowadays with a new appreciation for mental health might be interested in. Right. Finally, an appreciation of mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been interesting to, to watch the conversation change 
over the years. Uh, Ananga and I have been producing Anxiety Slayer now for over 13 years, and it's definitely a different conversation right now. Still, yeah, you know, yeah. in our in our opinion, not not quick enough, but we're grateful to see how things are changing, and grateful for authors like you and therapists like you who are making it easier to to access, making it more accessible, more understandable. Like this is what you're looking at. This is what it's all about. It's not the stigma of, oh my God, you're going to a shrink or shrink, right? Or being told by parents, perhaps, or other people in your life, role models in your life who think that it's a weakness when it actually is a strength right. to, to ask for help. No, now uh, therapy is a badge of honor, not a badge of shame anymore. I mean, I Absolutely. keep reading things about, about men putting on their dating profiles that they're in therapy and how women see that. I'm like, oh, that's, I love that. That's great. Right? So it's, it's really interesting how it's the, the attitude has changed. Yeah. Well, because when you think about how wonderful it is to look at what makes us tick and to become better beings, better human beings in, in our own way and how we care for ourselves and others, take a look, not, not to be so afraid of, of what's going on under the hood. What recurring mental health themes are showing up for you right now as you're working um, with married couples and working with families in your practice? Well, honestly, this time of the year, I, I always do a holiday check. Yeah. Some people, the holiday triggers difficulties related to family. Some people experience that through their partners. And some people just love the holiday season. Mm -hmm. And those are, those are very pleasant conversations to have as well, but, you know, necessary. So there's sort of an end of the year vibe to it. And um, I also, I also, I always pitch my clients on this to the end of the year. I ask them about New Year's resolutions. And we talk about how resolutions, you know, usually sort of described as, you know, I'm going to go to the gym more. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to go on this diet. And it's very binary. Either you do it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, but I like to pitch clients the idea that we could talk about New Year's goals and talk in more general terms about wanting to live a healthier lifestyle or wanting to create a diet that they feel good about themselves with. Yeah. Setting up intentions instead of resolutions. I, yeah. I threw away resolutions years and years ago. So yeah, I completely understand and agree with yeah. you on that. And And what I really enjoy about that is not so much the beginning of the year, but the end of the year. Mm -hmm. um, for, for years, I've done this with my kids where we sit down at the beginning of the year and we write our New Year's intentions. I love that. And the best part is at the end of the year, looking at those and saying, well, this was my intention and I ended up doing what I wanted to do with that. Or, oh, this was my intention, but it turned out that it really wasn't something that I was so into. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, you know what? I ended up really doing this, which I hadn't even thought about it at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And it's so much healthier, I think, a way to to sort of give ourselves a focus over the year and sort of identify what we want and don't want to achieve without it being so binary as I did this or I didn't do this. I failed or I didn't fail. Right. And it's so awesome too to get to the end of the year and allow yourself to explore what you accomplished, how you've grown, the choices that you've made along the way to get closer to whatever those intentions are. The because oftentimes we just kind of go, yeah, mm -hmm, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and we didn't, yeah, mm -hmm. and I wrote a book, and then I did, you know, da, 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 and we don't take time mm -hmm. to celebrate some of 
what we've done and and who we've become and and how far Mm -hmm. we've Mm -hmm. uh, come along whatever path it is we're on. Mm -hmm. After this quick break, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about social anxiety and tips that Phil might have for us, uh, especially those of us who dread social gatherings over the holidays. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you sometimes wish life came with an operating manual? Sometimes we all need some guidance or a neutral party to help us work things out. BetterHelp online therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and to help you learn productive coping skills. Having worked with BetterHelp in the past, at the beginning of the pandemic when my daughter was going off to college, I felt heard and fully supported navigating through that transition. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It really couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash slayer. That's betterhelp.com slash slayer. Hey, Phil, before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, recurring mental health themes that are showing up Mm -hmm. right now. And one that you brought up was about the holidays and, and some of the anxiety that comes with spending time with family and social gatherings and all that comes with it, all of the trappings. Can we talk yeah. a little bit more about that and, and how or you know, what kind of tips or offerings that you might have for, for those of us who just really struggle with that? Yeah, sure. Um, and this is great because it relates to a more general uh, thought about therapy, which is clients wanting to know how and what they can do to change the things about themselves they want to change. Oftentimes, clients will crave uh, specific uh, interventions, we call them in, in clinically, or just you know tips, tricks, things to do. And what we then do is I say, you know, that's great. Let's talk about that. And we we get into maybe the sources of anxiety, personal, historical, familial, social. We really work in therapy to develop a greater understanding of why we feel anxious, what it feels like, or what the roots are, what what a situation that produces anxiety in the present uh, draws from a historical situation in the past, oftentimes with our parents, our caregivers, our family. And a lot of my work is understanding why that anxiety appears and Oftentimes, we'll get to a point where we develop that awareness, and then the client will say, "Well, what do I do? <laughs> how do I how do I stop it?" And and I say, "Well, part of the way we do that is we're doing it right now. We're developing this greater sense of awareness, knowledge, self knowledge, that ideally, in the future, you might find yourself in the exact same position as you had the year before that produced a lot of anxiety. But now that we've done a lot of work on ourselves and really." come to appreciate why we might feel anxious, what the analogs are, how the anxiety we're feeling here might not really be from this situation, but from a source in our childhood or our past. 
just that awareness can help us somehow engage in the situation differently. Um, and while there are certainly so many great uh, approaches, especially with some of the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy approach to therapy, which really involves a lot of identifying our thoughts and and uh, working on concrete ways to to deal with that, which I also incorporate. My my personal favorite is just the idea that just by knowing ourselves better, understanding what makes us tick will uh, allow us to maybe change the way we tick or mm-hmm. feel like we're ticking differently in situations uh, in the past had been harder. Right. Right. Well, th- well, that's really helpful. A lot of what's been coming up uh, from our listeners is, oh my goodness, what do I do? My mm-hmm. family is um, crazy because mm-hmm. of politics mm-hmm. and the political divide and how do I go? And I want to go and and really enjoy my parents, but they're on the other side of the aisle and my dad can be so crazy, you know, blah, 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 all the, all the Mm -hmm. things that I don't even need to say the words, right? Mm -hmm. What kind of advice do you have for, for people who are in that situation? And, and as you can imagine, there are a lot of them listening in right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this makes me reflect on me learning what it meant to be a therapist. Cool. Um, uh, as, as a comedy writer, for instance, um, it was always about trying to figure out how I would respond to something. Um, you know, uh, what, what's my take? What's my pitch? Um, and in real life, oftentimes when people are confronted with somebody who's angry, they feel like they need to justify their own opposition to that anger or discuss the other person's anger in a way that reflects what, what I think. You know, that's a lot of our our modern adult conversations are, it's a two-way street. We're talking about um, how, what somebody does and how it affects us and vice versa. My work as a therapist has been amazing for my own personal growth individually, because when I sit with a client, let's say I'm sitting with a client and they're expressing their anger about politics. And my instinct might be to say, well, but don't you see, it's not like that. Or... Well, actually, what about this point of view? But that's not my job as a therapist. As a therapist, I'm there to just sit with those feelings, to acknowledge them, to support them, even whether I agree with them or not. And that's something that I've been able to bring into my personal life. Um, In fact, I had a holiday season where I have relatives who are relatively conservative and there's a generational gap. And I feel much less anxious about those family gatherings now because I don't feel the need to defend my thoughts and my point of view or Love to express yeah. what I think is wrong or uh, uninformed about my relative's point of view. Right. Uh, you I'm can just let it be, you a, can let it be an interesting point of view. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the metaphor I use with that is uh, it's as if there's a fire and um, the back and forth, the arguing, the debates fans that fire. So there's some power to sit and just accept it, support it, acknowledge it. You don't have to say, think it's right or wrong, but what I'm doing is I'm not fanning the fire. Mm. And oftentimes uh, when somebody is confronted uh, with somebody who doesn't agree or disagree with them, but simply listens, the fire tends to go down. Um, 
So uh, it can be very frustrating when you feel like you're right and you want to explain to somebody else why you think you're right and why they're wrong. And no matter how objectively true or important the issues you're talking about are, the dynamic is is a fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I take a lot of solace now in being able to just, I, even if I sit and nod, it doesn't mean that I believe the stuff that they're talking about. Right. Uh, I'm just letting them, it's almost like I'm supporting them by just letting them talk about it. Right. Like it's a controlled burn. (laughs) Right. Which hopefully eventually you run out of grass. Right. Right. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about how therapy and partnering with a therapist can help a family or a marriage or an individual who wants to just finally once and for all learn how to calm their mind so that mm-hmm. they can get on with their life and find some more joy and and spaciousness versus feeling so boxed in by their stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I'm reflecting now on on my work with couples, and and specifically talking about issues that might uh, drive couples to conflict. And whatever the issue is, uh, well, we often realize in our work together that while the issue might be the specific incident in front of them, the way they react to it often has less to do with that uh, incident and more to do with how they were programmed to respond to incidents like it growing up. A client has a hard time supporting his partner, let's say. Whenever his partner gets angry, our client has a difficult time dealing with that. And they become angry. It's a classic dynamic of, of, you know, meeting anger with anger, mm-hmm. right? So we might talk about, well, is the issue really that the car was parked in a different spot than the one you were expecting? Is this anger appropriate for a level of, of conflict for that thing? No, it's usually not. How were you exposed to anger growing up? What was your childhood experience like with your parents modeling how to deal with anger? How do they handle anger? How do their parents handle anger? How what you are taught and shown how to deal with anger is reflecting now and what we're dealing with right now. So hopefully the situation moves from talking about the thing that everybody's arguing about to what are the feelings I'm really reacting with for? I think a lot of it goes back to how we were programmed. Um, yeah. we we're, It's sort of like we're, we're grooves on a record and we are taught how to express anger and that that method is is put into the record player. It's a groove. And now when we get into our real life and all as adults and in relationships, we might want to listen to a different song. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard to to yeah. get that record to skip and and approach it differently. And yet there's something so satisfying about being able to break the chain or change the pattern or mm-hmm. move on to the next song. There's something so incredibly rewarding there. And I can speak to that personally with with anger because the Mm. modeling that I had is completely different than the modeling that I've given um, my own child. Mm. And and I'm so grateful for that, right? And Mm. yet at the same time now, I can be where I am in my life and look back and go, whoa. Yeah. You were so yeah, fact, you were so angry at, you know, once upon a time and how mm-hmm. how lovely it is to to be on the other side of that and mm-hmm. to not have passed that along. 
Yeah, I'm interested to hear you mention being a parent because having a child is, I think, the I tell clients it's either the cheapest or the most expensive form of therapy you can get. <laughs> no doubt. Um, I personally have had an experience with with my daughter uh, that is every parent probably experiences, which is the anger at them not doing their homework. I remember sitting at the table, pounding my fist. My daughter refused to do the math. We have huge fights about it. And then what happened is I, I had a client who had a similar issue, and he was talking about the difficulty of teaching his daughter math. But my pitch to him is, what we're really doing here is you're teaching your daughter how to be angry, right? You're teaching your daughter how to react to frustration. And if the way you deal with anger is to pound on the table and raise your voice, that's how your daughter's going to learn how to deal with it. We can also teach our, our children the, to recognize that the anger might be misplaced. I am really frustrated that you're not doing the math. God, it makes me so angry. I don't know what to do, right? Yeah, Verbalizing yeah. a little bit more and identify it. Um, I think examples like that, it's amazing how I, I, I feel, I, I love being a parent, but I feel selfish about it because my kids are just opportunities for me to actually learn more about myself. Oh, I know, to become a better person every day. Right. I'd love for you to share with us what whatever might be bubbling up in your mind that you think would be helpful and supportive for this holiday season for, for our listeners. And then of course, we'll definitely let people know where they can get a copy of your book and, and reach you as well. Well, man, I would encourage everybody out there who is dealing with relatives or family members that there's conflict and anger. I almost picture myself like, uh, like Gandhi at a certain point. I'm no Gandhi. I'll put it like that. <laughs> but the, the idea that by not feeling like you have to reply or act in anger to, as a reaction to anger, you can you have the power to change the whole dynamic of the room. And it's so difficult because it's interesting, as you mentioned, the pleasure in in changing your behavior, there's also so much pleasure in just being angry. Mm. It is so satisfying to feel you're right. I have the right to be angry. I am allowed because of X, Y, and Z. And it's very hard to break that chain and and simply feel somebody's anger or frustration and not feel like it has to be matched. Right. Because most of the time it's not about you anyway. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and if you if you can realize that somebody's anger, while directed at you, is not intended for you, that empathy, that's why I, I believe there are really no bad people. You know, there's people who have learned to be angry and express that anger in certain ways. So uh, that's something that I work with the clients and with my family and realizing that, you know, this person's really angry right now and I think they're wrong, but it's not really up to me to, to make them see that because that's, nobody ever has an argument over the holidays with the, with the discussion of the facts and then agree. Oh yeah. Okay. We got it now. Mm -hmm. We're all on the same page. It never happens. And then finally with, the anxiety that bubbles up, you might have the most loving, easygoing family and friends in the world and still feel some social anxiety this time of year. Do you have any suggestions for I, I do. In that? fact, um, I just posted a, a excerpt of my book up at psychologytoday.com. Okay. And the chapter is called The Eternal Well of Worry. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that anxiety exists for all of us. And that there's sort of a well inside ourselves with a constant supply of water, which is anxiety. And that 
Sometimes we feel the need to bail out that well. Let's empty that well. Let's drag every bucket and just really get into this anxiety because eventually we'll get through it all. But the reality is it's never ending. It's an eternal source. But when that well, if we let that well simply rise up to the top of the well, it doesn't overflow. So we all have this tendency towards anxiety. And it's very difficult to sit with it and be okay with it because it makes us uncomfortable. And when it makes us uncomfortable, we react in ways that we try to mitigate it or to make it feel better. But often it, it just exacerbates it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the point of that metaphor is to understand that we can all experience anxiety. We can all be anxious and we can sit with it and accept it. And in a way, disempower it a little bit or take away the ability for it to really make us feel like we need to do something to change it. Mm. Thank you, Phil. What a pleasure to spend this time with you. I really am grateful that you chose to come and speak with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can get a copy of Phil's book, Dude, Where's My Catharsis, wherever books are sold. You can also contact Phil at starktalk.net.